Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. This is a quote from an article in Bicycling.com that our guest was featured in. Quote, when Joe Wolfman rides, he bleeds. That's the least of his problems. If somebody says to me, you can't do that, I smile and figure out a way to get it done, Joe says. I stop at nothing, and even when it hurts, I've learned to love that pain and discomfort. We are all born at 100%. It's just distributed differently to each individual. Joe is training with the hope of being selected for the 2024 Paralympics in Paris. Joe Wolfman has cerebral palsy, but honestly, he says that at this point, he doesn't suffer from it. It suffers from him. Joe pushes himself and his body to the limit every day in order to help others achieve their goals. He's training for the Paralympics in hand cycling, but he's also fallen in love with the incredible Brazilian jiu-jitsu art. He wants to compete and train at the highest levels possible in order to compete against able-bodied athletes as well. Many think that Joe will always be at a disadvantage, but that's where they're wrong. Joe says his disability is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. Joe, I am so stoked to have you on here. I love your energy, man. I'm so excited to be here. It's, it's just so amazing and I'm ready to go. <laughs> I know you are. And I'm so excited to get to be on this conversation with you. We were introduced by April. She is amazing. April Parks. Love that woman. She is a phenom. She is crushing it in every capacity. And then when she reached out to me and told me about you, I was like, what? I got to talk to this guy. And then here we are doing this. So man, 22 years old. Yup. It's been quite a journey. I'll tell you that. And I'm just lucky to be here. And I'm lucky to have met people like April and you and just people who are here to support my journey and, and learn about my story. Because I think the biggest thing is actually asking and taking that step of like, what is your story rather than just getting the stares that most people will do and will go to. And they'll just kind of look at me and they'll just kind of be like, what's going on with this guy? But they won't ask. But I know from like facial expressions and like energy that that's what's going on. Yeah. And you started off like just your fight for life early. You were a preemie, right? Yeah. So I was a preemie and I'm not sure how many weeks, but I was born with cerebral palsy. They didn't really give us, there's no like blueprint, right? With CP, there's no blueprint of what you can and can't do and what their outcome is going to be, right? So it's more of individual based on each person and each person's situation. So my mom and my parents really had to figure it out on the spot. And, you know, I'm really lucky to have the Russian and Egyptian blood kind of going in where they just don't give up. And that's kind of what was instilled in me. You know, I went to physical therapy and I was going there four times a week and we were doing crazy amounts of physical therapy from the start. That's what I ended up doing when I was a little kid. So I guess I was introduced to 
exercise and fitness at a very young age. Although it's interesting because when I was younger, I hated it. So when I was younger, I didn't like going and I was like, I don't want to do this. It's, you know, I saw that I was different and that people viewed me differently. And especially in schools and going to public school and being one of the only or very few kids that was in a mainstream school system and mainstream educational system, everyone was looking at me. And I always had like an aide with me, like a one-on-one person to be with me. So there was always an adult kind of hovering over me in every single thing that I did. And so I kind of never really established those social skills with kids to talk to kids and have friends because everyone was kind of nervous with me. Like, what could we do with this person? You know, he's always with an adult. I don't know. Like, and and that's what ended up happening. I kind of just never really had friends through middle school and high school. I wasn't the athletically inclined kid, obviously, because of my situation. I had a wheelchair and I started off with a power wheelchair. And one day, and I don't know how this happened, but one day I just woke up and I was like, enough is enough. I don't want to be looked at with this power wheelchair. And it's a big wheelchair. It's one of those like giant things. And you're just like, everyone's looking at the wheelchair rather than you as a person. That's what I saw. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just take this out and I'm going to like throw it out and I'm just not going to use it. And I started to push myself with a manual wheelchair and that changed my life completely just from my confidence and from what I want to do. And I started to realize that I can be physical, that I can do these things. And so that's what started my whole journey. See, that's so powerful because what people don't understand is if you've been injured, if you've had to go to physical therapy a lot, like you've lived your entire life with it, they're just trying to get us to an occupational therapy kind of capacity. They just want us to be able to do whatever we can. And then they don't want us to hurt ourselves. So they're always going to say, pull back. That's too much, Joe. Don't hurt yourself, Joe. And that's not what you want to hear, especially when you're a young man that's like got all this energy and all this vitality. 1000%. And I always felt that I wasn't really reaching my true potential. Even when I didn't really like physical therapy, I think I didn't like it because I knew that I could give more and they weren't letting me like go to that next level. And it was kind of one of those things where I just felt like I was blockaded by the fact that they want to discharge you, right? At the end of the day, they want you to move on and and they want to give you exercises and they say, okay, do it at home. And then that's it. But the, the truth is, this is a lifelong situation. It's not like it's going to go away. CP just doesn't go away. And that's what I saw. And I didn't really appreciate it. I didn't really like it. And I, I thought that I do appreciate physical therapy for what it is. And it's definitely helped me get to where it is. But the insurance and, you know, this it has to be a certain way. And if the insurance doesn't want you to go to physical therapy anymore, they're like, okay, it's done. And now what? So I end up going back home and then you sit with your mind, right? Because at that time I didn't have a lot of friends. So a lot of what I deal with, I have to deal with on my own. That is where I started to develop my demons in my head. And I, I say demons, but that is truly what it is. And the more I, I realized, like I used to have an ego and I, I'm working, this is something I'm working on. And I think jujitsu in itself has tremendously calmed that down. You know, that's what ended up happening. Like I, you know, I started doing so much physical exercise that I developed this ego that like, you know, look at me like, you know, I'm I'm in a wheelchair and I'm doing all this shit and I'm a badass and all these things. But then I realized 
that's not what I want to give off. And that's not the type of mentality that I'm like, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to just like showboat this stuff and be like, oh, look at me. Like you're able-bodied. You should be pushing through. That's not what this is about. What it is about is showing people that everyone goes through struggles and everyone goes through challenges in life. But how are you going to take your ego away and say, I'm going to help you. I want to help the general public, the mass public and say, listen, I've been, I've been thrown around. I haven't had friends. I have demons in my head day in, day out. And I struggle with it. And I feel most of the time, to be honest with you, I feel lonely and I feel like I'm here, but I'm not here. And I train so much because deep down inside, I'm not, I'm not happy with who I am. And you know, that's something I still struggle with, but I want to talk about it because I feel like people don't want to talk about it and they're scared to talk about these things. And I want to open the book up and say, here's what the situation is, but it's okay. And it's okay to not be okay. And we just have to move forward and we have to continue to conquer our issues and face them head on. And that's everything to remove the stigma from being able to say that. And just like you're saying, I love that you're being honest and transparent about this because I've met a lot of people, especially in the speaking circuit, where they will have this fake artificial positivity, no matter what it is. And that's okay because we all do that. Like I was doing that when I was injured too, when I was trying to figure things out. But again, that's not sustainable. It doesn't feel real to us. It feels like we're lying. And honestly, it makes us even more depressed and more aggravated and more lonely in the process. That's 100% true. And that's how I kind of felt. And that's why I said there's something in me that I'm doing. And I think it was like this false sense of positivity and telling people, no matter what, you could do it. And like, that's what you were saying. And that's what ended up happening. And I was like, I need to, I need to talk about this because I'm not okay. And because there's something else going on. And I, I want to be transparent about it because again, it's okay to not be okay. But the thing is, our challenges are what build us as individuals. And Every person has to go through what they've been through to grow and to be the person that they should become and who they can become. That's what I see. And I just want to give people and I want to tell people that they all have the potential to reach these goals and reach these crazy aspirations because I was the chubby kid in a chair who wasn't able to do any of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, fast forward, we're here now and I'm doing all these crazy things and I'm sometimes I shock myself. Like, you know, like it's like crazy what's happening. So it's just so amazing. And I'm I'm super grateful. And I'm super grateful that I was given this disability. And when I do talk to people, I tell them I don't want the cure. I don't want a cure. If someone were to give me a cure to my disability, would I take it? No. And I think that people always are questioning and asking me, well, why not? And my answer is is that. It doesn't matter to me what is normal, number one, okay? And number two, is that worth it to be normal instead of helping other people? Like, is that going to be my lifelong thing that like, I'm going to be given this cure and not really tell my story? And I think that it's super important to be given these challenges and say, no matter what, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to inspire and make a difference in people's lives. That to me is more important than being normal or being able-bodied or walking or whatever the situation may be. Well, and that's the truth. And here's the other part of it. Just like we mentioned in that article that I quoted about you, where you were saying that everybody's hundred percent that just in different ways. So we all have, whether it be fear, anxiety, depression, this feeling, this gnawing inside of us that we're not 
actualizing our potential, that we're not pushing ourselves. And I know that a lot of people try to push away from hardship and adversity. And you and I are talking about reality. So we're not glorifying adversity, but we also know that we have to lean into it, that we have to use that as a compass. But right now in society, it seems like everybody wants to do anything that they can to not feel any kind of discomfort, to not feel any kind of social anxiety. And the reality is we're feeling those things because it's trying to tell us, listen, there's something wrong and you're not doing this work on yourself. And it makes you do this deep introspection. And right now, a lot of people can be distracted by social media, Netflix. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Social media is a big platform and it's something that's crucial and instrumental for people to grow. But at the same time, we as a society, I feel like look at social media and we kind of form this jealousy towards other people because people show what they want to show on social media. They don't show actually what's going on in their life. And so we see all these things and we see all these relationships and all these people traveling the world and spending all the money in the world. But are they okay mentally? Are they really truly living the life that they want to live? And I feel like we see these things and we don't think about these things in the spare of the moment. We just see it. And then people get so depressed because they're like, well, if he's doing it, why can't I do it? And I I know that I fell victim to that also. Like I've seen so many similar to my situation where they're out there and they have 500,000 followers on Instagram and they're traveling and they're going all over the place and they're speaking. And I'm like, why can't I be in that situation? Like you almost run this, like not this hate, but it's kind of like a jealousy, I think towards the person. And that's not how it's supposed to be because you're not supposed to form an opinion about someone until you meet them. And at least in my opinion, like you have to meet the person and sit down with the person to actually have a two cents of who they are. You can't let social media create this person in your head of who they are when you don't even know them. So that's kind of what I've seen. And it's a struggle because social media is in your face. Yeah, it is. And it's easy to build that resentment towards somebody or the illusion of what somebody portrays themselves to be. But just like you said, social media, in my opinion, is it's a necessary evil. People want to come support you. So the people that want you to come speak, the people that want to hire you to come speak, they're going to go to your Instagram. They're going to go to your Facebook, which if you guys are listening, by all means, go to Joe Wolfman. It's J-O-E-V-O-L-F-M-A-N, like Wolfman, but with a V. And he has a Patreon there. You can support him to help him raise money for his training, for his equipment. To get to the 2024 Paralympics, people are like, oh, that's in two years. They don't understand that that means that you have precious little time to really do all the work necessary and all the nutrition and all the like recovery therapy and all the stuff that we have to do. So by all means, please support him if you love his story. But that is the reality. Again, social media helps people that love what you talk about come to find out more about you. But in the end, we have to do it in an authentic manner to say, listen, there's going to be days when I don't feel like doing it. There's going to be days when it's hard. It's not like you are immune to that just because you've done everything that you've already accomplished at such a young age. No, it's an ongoing thing. And with the bike and all that stuff and the equipment, you know, I have to go to Amsterdam three times to get fitted for this bike. And it's like, we're trying to figure it out and we're trying to really make this happen because time is running out and it's two years. I know it might seem like a long time, but it's really not. No, not for a competition at that level. (laughs) So that's where. I've always been like the, I don't want, I don't know what the right word would be. I've always been in that situation where I've had less than most people. I've 
dealt with me not having the right equipment and me not being fitted for the right equipment. So kind of having to work it out on my own and go to my bike shop and them trying to like fix one thing here, but then another thing happens and then another thing happens. And I've always dealt with that. And I think, again, that builds my story and that builds who I am. But at the end of the day, this is why, you know, it does help to have a bike that's 20 pounds lighter than what I have now. And at some point, there is a point where I do need to, in order for me to be at that and compete and even have a chance, I need that equipment and I need that training and I need whatever I can to get to that level. And I'll do whatever it takes. It's not a question of whether I'm going to make it. It's a question of when I'm going to make it. That's where I'm at. Well, and for those that listen to this and say, well, it's only 20 pounds extra on a bike. Listen, if I'm doing a ruck march and I have a hundred pounds in my back and you put another 20 pounds on there, it's going to be like, good Lord, that's going to feel like it's going to break. That may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So 20 pounds can make you that much more efficient. And again, this is all upper body that you're doing, right? This is all upper body. So you don't think 20 pounds means anything, man. It's almost a ton when you're removing that thing. Yeah. It's all upper body and it's a lot on the hands. I have calluses on my hands from like here till tomorrow all over on my fingers. And again, these things and these challenges build me. But at the same time, people will like, if you read my story on Bicycling Magazine, I have a callus on the back of my head, (laughs) which is like the craziest thing. And I like, because that's because of the rubbing of the bike on the back of the bike, because it wasn't made for me, it's kind of small. So I kind of deal with that. And I used to have a situation where I'd get off my bike after two hours, my head would be bleeding. And my mom would be like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, like, it's so crazy. That's literally what ends up happening. But because I'm in the moment, and because when I train, I literally like, I I just get so hyper focused and like all my emotions and all my demons come out to play, we'll say like there. And I basically channel all of that stuff into my training. And without my training, I don't know if I'd be alive today, honestly. You know, I never thought that I'd have to deal with these things. And it's kind of, again, it does get lonely. I mean, I'm training six days a week for about four hours or five hours, depending on if I'm doing jujitsu. And sometimes I forget to eat. And sometimes, you know, I don't really talk to a lot of people on my phone because I'm always either I'm trying to recover to get to the other session or I'm trying to sleep, or I'm trying to eat, and all these things. And then it ends up that a social life is not really there. Or the other aspect to it is, I feel like certain people don't have the same drive, or they want to go out and party. And I've done that as well. I'm not going to sit here and be like, listen, I'm perfect. I didn't go to parties, and I didn't have a good time. And I've done that. And you know, yeah, it's fun. And yeah, I'm 22. But at the end of the day, I want to make a difference in this world. And it's not easy. I want to become a champion and I want to work to the highest level possible. And that takes hard work. That takes dedication. And that takes me saying, you know, when everyone else is going out, when everyone else is having a good time, I have to train. I have to take a nap. I have to sleep 10 to 12 hours. But then again, you know, I'm 22. So I do want to have a social life and I do want to be able to talk to people and I don't want to be, you know, just training. Sometimes I feel robotic because I'm like going in and I train and then I come back and I come back to the jujitsu school that I'm at and I just keep going and I keep going and everyone's looking at me like this guy's nuts. Like I, you know, on Sundays I spend four hours at jujitsu and then I go on my bike after jujitsu and do two hours and everyone's like, what the hell's going on? Like, 
it doesn't make sense to people, right? How I have that drive. And when someone asks me, well, how do you have that drive? My answer is because I have all this pent up demons and depression and all these things. So even when I'm not fueled enough, like in terms of food wise, I'm fueled mentally, someone could throw me around and and push me around, especially in jujitsu. But what they don't realize is that I love that. I love getting my ass kicked. And that's the, that's, that's the thing. And that's where I feel like, you know, most people will be like, this guy's crazy. But at the end of the day, I never experienced that. Like I never really got into any fights or anything like that. And so I have like this, like want to, to go through that and kind of like be in that situation. But jujitsu, I love it so much because that kind of allows me to be in a safe space and do these things. But even with jujitsu, people will realize that I'm disabled and, and they'll, they'll feel bad for me. So they won't roll with me as aggressive as they would roll with someone else. So I literally have to stop them and say, Hey, like choke me out. Like, you know, like be tough on me because at the end of the day, I need to learn how to defend myself. Number one, number two, I want to compete, right? So I want to go and compete against people who I know when it comes to competition, they're not going to feel bad for me. They're going to go and they're just going to rip my arm and that's it. Like, and that's, that's the stuff that I love. And so I want to be trained hard. And sometimes you'll feel this energy with people, especially when you're rolling, because you feel how it's going to go. Like, that's the thing with jujitsu. Like, you know, the person you're going to roll with that energy that's transferred between you and the person. So right off the bat, it's always this thing of, Hey, like, you don't have to worry about breaking me. Like I'm good. (laughs) You know, like that's literally what ends up happening every single time. Another thing is, is that I'm very unorthodox with my jujitsu, right? Because I can't do a lot of the movements and I can't use my legs and I can't close my guard and things like that. I use my chin and I literally like shove my chin in my face into people's faces and they don't know what to do. Right. And I can't do a knee on belly. So I literally put my chin into their ribs, they're like tripping out because it's it's not like a normal way. And I literally have to figure things out as I go. Well, how do I use their body for my advantage? How do I use a reaction and action, right? So if they react to me, how do I act in a way that can allow me to be at an advantage? That for me is just so amazing, right? Every single person is different. And that's why I love it, right? Because biking is cool and biking is amazing. And there's an aspect to it of where you can kind of like zone out. But with jujitsu, you have to be in the moment, right? You have to be in the moment and you have to know, you know, and you have to see people's weaknesses. And that's where I'm at. And I just love it. I I just really do. So no, it's so true. And with jujitsu, like you said, you have to be present. You have to be aware, like you said. And again, how many people have we heard of? Marcelo Garcia, the greatest grappler alive right now, like he has short arms and like short appendages. So when he does like his version of like a go-go palata or his version of an Uma palata or his version of a guillotine, which they call a Marcelotine now, because he's adopted it to where it's like, listen, I don't have long arms. I'm not a big guy. So him trying to work on just like this crazy top game may not be his biggest advantage. But like you said, in wrestling, they do that. They use their head to post. So it's the same kind of thing where you're like, listen, I have an additional appendage with my head. A lot of people don't see that coming. That is an advantage for you. And then to be able to use that at such a high level, 
gives you an unfair advantage. So when people are like, I'm in jujitsu and it's like, it feels like they can read my mind. No, if I have you in a position, there's only a few things you can do. I've trained that all day. So now if you roll, I grab the arm. If you don't, I take the belly. If not, then I go here and you're doing that. So you're truly taking what I have found with martial arts I've, I've done for like 30 years. What I have found is that the individual is more important than any art or any system because you will always be that individual. The system will always have its sort of limitations, but if you can evolve and change like you are, that makes you not only a better martial arts, but again, a better athlete on that bike, a better human being, a better person for your community, a better speaker, everything. So if we take those lessons, like you said, let the ego go, that's how we get to the next level. Exactly, exactly. And with jujitsu, it's just so crazy because you know I, I had the conversation where my professors were like, well, would you compete against disabled people? Like, what is that thing? Because I specifically mentioned that I want to compete against able-bodied athletes and I want to be put in those situations and I want to do submission only because at the end of the day, points for someone to get on top of me and mount me, that's easy for them to do. They're already at an advantage with that. So you take that away and you take time or you give me a bigger time frame. And say, okay, you have 10 minutes or you have 15 minutes. Now what? And it's all based on technique and grit and pushing through. That's a much more level playing field. And I'll tell you this. I could be put in a lot of uncomfortable situations. I don't tap. I I just go into this meditative state and I take a deep breath and I just let it happen. And I get people very tired. I basically let them fatigue. I let them throw me around. And then it's my turn to play because as soon as they get tired and I feel that, again, it's the energies that are transferred. Then I start to realize that they start making mistakes. They start giving me the space I need. And then that's it. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things. But when we were talking about, you know, me competing against disabled athletes, like I don't want to make another person who's disabled more disabled. I don't want to have those situations where I'm going out there and I could possibly injure. Like it's one of those things in my head where I just, and I also, I want it to be one of those things where there's a shock value to it. Right. Because again, jujitsu is also a mental game. So if I go, I know majority of people are going to underestimate what I'm capable of doing. And so they're going to be like, Oh, this is going to be easy. This is going to be a joke. And I want them to say that. And I want them to think that because when it comes down to it and when it comes to you know me being on the mat and you take the wheelchair away and I'm head on with this person, they start to realize they're like, oh shit. And it's happened so many times before where people are like, oh my God, how does he have that strength? And it's one of those things where I want to see how far it gets because this whole thing of me moving my body and like my legs are working a lot better than they used to, which is even crazy in itself. And I've only been doing jiu-jitsu for 10 months seeing more progress with jiu-jitsu than 15 years of physical therapy so think about that it's so crazy so who knows down the line in a year what's going to end up being with my legs that's it for me it was the same thing i got medically retired after i was injured after i was paralyzed and i started to recover they medically retired me from the military but again i got out and now i'm like 50 pounds overweight what do i do with my life I can't do the stuff I was doing before. So again, going back to martial arts was my first love and being able to hold a blade or a stick or put your hands on a correct fist to throw a punch so that you're biomechanically lined up. Again, going back to 
working on jujitsu, whether it be a takedown, whether it be a Kimura arm lock into an Americana, whatever it is, all these flows that it's not that I learned anything, it's that I relearned stuff that I had forgotten. And for you, like you said, you're doing the same thing. And then that for me is what allowed my body to actually begin to recover, heal. And I wouldn't be where I am now had I not done that. But again, it's a long road. It's the journey, not the destination. And I know that that sounds taboo, but here's what everybody has to remember. Our destination outside of death, we have no clue what it's going to be. We have ideas where we want to go. We have goals. But the reality is the journey, the work, the adversity that we embrace every day to get to that place, that is definite. That is guaranteed. So if you go in with this and you can give everything that you have and still not get to the goal that you want. And if that's the case, then you better learn to enjoy the process of getting tossed around. You better learn to lean into that because that's the time that we have an advantage when other people, like you said, mentally they quit. Mentally they're like, oh, I don't need to do this or I can do other things. That's fine. But when we have no other choice, the choice is simple and you're embracing that with everything that you do. That was part one of my interview with triathlete, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, professional handbiker, and future Paralympic athlete, Joe Wolfman. You can hear part two of our interview on the next episode of Octanon Verba, where Joe returns to discuss how his athletic performance has inspired him to grow in every area of his life. Joe shares his process of dealing with rejection, learning about himself and his capabilities, and the importance of honesty and vulnerability when discussing disabilities and social situations. Until next time, live a life of actions and not words. Live a life of Octa non verba. Thank you for listening to this episode of Octa Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.